1: with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky over at Pathfinder Wealth Management, I am Ben George. We got a good show for you today. We're talking about the fine print. Are you reading the fine print when it comes to your finances and financial planning, Barbara, Phil? Welcome in. Or do you two read the fine print um, just in your day-to-day life?
0: Oh, oh, sure, absolutely <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah. All, we want to make sure that we understand everything there is about it, all the legalese, and uh, yeah, kind, yeah. No. Kind of like
2: when you're, uh, you know, you when you're uh, fi- refinancing or buying a home, right? Yeah. Sign here, sign oh, here, sign oh, here. You be there for two days if you if you read everything. Yeah. <laughs> it is well, so
0: true. So true. Yeah, they say the devil's in the details. So. Mm-hmm.
1: It is. It yeah, is. Yeah, we're, so- gu- we're guilty. Yeah, well, that's what we want to talk about today is is really talk about some of the things we hear from people and that you specifically hear from people that aren't paying attention to the fine print when it comes to the things that they're investing in, uh, purchasing, uh, contributing to. So we'll do that today on the show. Again, a reminder, you can uh, always get in touch with Barbara and Phil. The best thing to do is go to pathfinderchat.com. It's the best place, easiest place to schedule a meeting with them, discuss what we talk about today or any financial planning questions that you might have. I know one question that's been coming up quite a bit here over the last couple of months is uh, how are we going to tame inflation, right? And interest rates yeah. continue to rise. Are interest rates increases maybe the solution? What do you think?
0: Yeah, we uh, we usually go to our go to guy, which is Brian Westbury over at uh, First Trust. He's an economist, and uh, really, it's a really smart guy. In fact, he's on uh, you know all the all the business channels quite often. And uh, he mm-hmm. wrote a uh, an article this week called "Will Higher Interest Rates Tame Inflation." And he says some very interesting things. I have not seen him this bold, Barb, you know, since yeah, we listened agree. to him. But he has basically said that the, uh, the Fed has failed. Mm-hmm. He starts out the article by saying that Ludwig von Mises, uh, who was an economist years ago, said the primary role of uh, protecting the, um, the monetary system is the federal government. Uh, they're there to keep it stable, to keep it safe. And so (laughs) it is one of those systems that has to be guarded very carefully. Well, 14 years ago, Brian says that the federal reserve system changed their way they managed their value of money, and they shifted it from a monetary policy, which was what they call a scarce reserve model, to an abundant reserve model. And what that basically means is that um, in a scarce reserve model, the Fed actually adds to or subtracts the reserves which is your what they call m2 the money supply from the banking system uh, through a mechanism that pushes the federal funds either in or out and that will control the interest rate uh up or down if they want to uh kind of uh, expand the economy then they'll go ahead and lower interest rates by uh, flooding the market with more resources if they want to go ahead and tighten it up Uh, Then they basically restrict the amount of uh, cash flow or M2 to the banks and so forth. And so that particular system found its own level of interest rate based on market demand. Mm -hmm. And it was a market demand, market supply type system. Worked very well. But uh, 14 years ago, they changed that over to basically what they call an abundant model. And the abundant model basically says this regardless of how much money supply is out there in the system, the Fed will arbitrarily change and declare an interest rate based on absolutely nothing. So as an example, uh, what has happened here the last year and a half is we've had more money pumped into the economy in the last year and a half than we had the previous eight years. In fact, the uh, money supply went from $15.5 trillion up to $21.6 trillion. Now that money is already out there. And it's kind of like closing the barn doors when the horses are gone quite frankly. They're trying to raise interest rates right now to to stem uh, the buying or to stem the economy and and kind of lessen the amount of uh, purchasing. But quite frankly, it's the same old story that there's more money out there chasing fewer goods and supplies. So as an example, I'll use the the, uh, illustration of maybe Barb and I, you have a business, we want to sell it for a million dollars. It's kind of a special business, has some unique characteristics, make it really, it makes it really a premium kind of a, a business. So even though it's worth a million dollars, we could probably offer it for two million dollars. But because there's so much money out there, uh consumers are gonna come in and they're gonna say, Hey, we're not gonna give you two million dollars, we're gonna give you four million dollars because the money out there is so abundant that it's available to us. Somebody will come in and, and bid up it even more. Now it's six million dollars. Oh no, 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 we're gonna go ahead and buy it for 10 million. Where does it stop? Mm-hmm. And that was the problem with the money supply that's in the economy right now. And for the Fed to come along and say, we're gonna start raising interest rates, we'll do no good to stem that inflation. And so what we find out here is that uh, Brian Westbury says, interest rates don't determine inflation, the amount of money circulating in the economy determines inflation. And so that's a big, big issue. And like anything else out there, when the government gets their hands into something, you think that they were doing something to protect us, but it's gotten too big, too many resources, and too much power in the hands of so few individuals and they leave out the free market aspect mm-hmm. of it completely.
2: Yeah, I thought it was a great article too, Phil. You know, so we go back to 2008, right around the financial crisis, and that's when the Fed began paying interest on required and excess reserves. Prior to that, they didn't. It was like you said, it was a bid and ask mm-hmm. you know, model in the scarce model. And now there are so many excess funds that banks don't have to compete because right. very rarely would they need these reserves. So the Fed creates an interest rate that it pays on excess funds and the Fed decides on what that rate will be. You know, in the old system, the market was involved in setting the rates. Today, the Fed artificially sets it's those artificial. rates.
0: Exactly right.
2: Yeah. You know, Phil, I remember back in um, 2006, because I remember I had a Kemper money market fund and it was paying 6% then. And... Uh, And inflation wasn't high. Mm -hmm. Inflation was about 3.2% in 2006. So it wasn't because inflation was high that I was getting 6%. It was because the market dictated that through the bid and ask system, the the, the scarce model, uh, that we were getting those kind of rates back then.
0: Well, the other thing that's interesting, too, is that Jerome Powell was asked if the Fed will ever go back to the scarce money system, that model. And he said, no way. He argued because of the recent crisis, the pandemic, this new abundant reserve model is better. Well, it's only better if you like inflation right that's what it's caused
2: always uh, you know government um, will always use a crisis to grow the economy yeah 2008 you had the pandemic and you know consequently there is nothing free taxpayers
0: yeah and so what this is going to uh, create is a system uh, whereby yeah it's going to be t- it's going to take a while for it all to kind of uh, work itself out the supply chain issues are still there uh, however, you know, we're telling our clients just, you know, the economy is going to be bumpy, we're going to have inflation, tighten your seatbelt, don't cash out, it'll it'll be okay, you'll be okay in the long run, but just understand that it's going to be kind of bumpy for a while.
2: Yeah, and actually, Bill, that's a good point, because all the more reason they need to be in the market to combat inflation, you know, when Absolutely. rates do come back up, yep. or, you know, uh, the market comes back up.
0: yep. Yeah. There you go,
1: Ben. Well, I'm buckled up, Phil. I know I'm uh, Good. I know not to – I don't try to worry about what's happening the rest of this year and even next year. I'm kind of looking beyond that. So Good. I know we'll it's see. not going to be a fun ride, but it's why you put a plan in place. So, mm-hmm. yeah. again, if you have questions for Barbara and Phil, best place to start, pathfinderchat.com you can discuss you know, any specifics that you have in mind. All right, let's discuss the fine print here on today's episode of the podcast. And again, these are some things that we might hear for people that don't pay attention to the fine print and get caught off guard with some of their financial uh, investments or uh, tools that they use for their retirement. So let's start off with this one, uh, dealing with long-term care. Someone might get surprised if they're not reading the fine print that they just got a big rate increase on their long-term care insurance.
0: Yeah, I'll tackle that one. And we we really addressed this issue several times before. Um, it's true that nearly all the companies that issue long term care insurance have adjusted premiums up in recent years. This is something that's really important for consumers to understand. Uh, it's a very sensitive issue. You know, clients when they get premium increases of 100 on their on their premiums are really upset, uh, and they. First thing they respond to is, well, you know, have we been duped? Did we buy something kind of a pig and a poke kind of a thing? Uh, Whereas was it misrepresented? Was was this something that, uh, uh, you know, the insurance industry is going to get greedy about? Are they like the uh, pharmaceuticals and the prescription companies and the petroleum companies out there to make big, big bucks at our expense? No. Uh, Let's talk about the facts, what's going on in the long-term care industry. Fact number one is within each long-term care plan, is language that allows the carrier to raise premiums if needed. Mm
1: -hmm. And you
0: really want that in there. If you didn't have that option as a insurance company to raise premiums, that's a sure path to uh, disillusionment. And uh, so they can basically uh, be dissolved. So that's very important that they have that opportunity to raise premiums when they need to. Fact number two, morbidity rates or the number of those who they estimated who needed long term care were, Uh, that's dated, that's dated information. The information in the data was correct at the time and policies were priced very fairly. And uh, what the morbidity rate says is how many people in any particular year group will be sick, will need long-term care. But with the advancement of healthcare, those numbers no longer apply. So as an example, in 2000, healthcare total cost for the nation was 137 billion for long-term care. In 2015, 208 billion. There's a boatload of documentation out there and statistics that talk about how people are living longer. They're sicker and they're living longer, but uh, it is going up. Number three, fact number three, is companies are required by their state to set aside billions of dollars in reserve to cover the benefits, future benefits for all the policy plans that they have in in place. In order to meet those requirements, they must raise the premiums. So if they are not able to raise their reserves, what will happen is that the uh, regulators The insurance commissioners of each of those states will shut those companies down until they have adequate funds set aside to meet policy reserves. So that is another reason for them going up. Now, here's fact number four, and this is uh, the good news about it. Long-term care insurance carriers are providing options rather than increasing premiums. So, yes, you can go ahead and pay the increased premiums and watch your, your premiums go up and up and up over the years, Or you can consider adjusting your daily benefits, dropping off riders such as inflation riders, reducing down the daily benefits, those type of things. And so we're working with several clients right now to determine what might be a reasonable adjustment for them to continue carrying their plan. So if you have any questions about long-term care plans and increased premiums or are confused, and it's a very confusing issue right Mm -hmm. now about what to do, go to our website, PathfinderChat.com. And schedule a fifteen-minute phone conversation, and we give you the help you need.
2: Yeah, you know, Phil, I think that uh, sometimes when the um, when our clients receive these uh, premium increases, they think they're being singled out. Yes, right. And you know, it's not legal to do that. So it's actually policyholders in a certain area that you know, for various reasons, claims, what have you, that they you know will decide to increase. But you know, what I was looking at is uh, the increases back in two thousand four were about one point eight nine percent per year. In 2020, those are averaging about 3.8%. Oh, so yes. That's, a, and that's an average. That's a big increase, and especially for many uh, people that are retired on basically a fixed income. But, um, you know, I'm like you, Phil, when I'm seeing my clients. And if you had a policy for a long time and you get increases, you can adjust those benefits, which we will work on with our clients as much as you can, because we don't suggest people cancel those policies. No, not at all.
0: No, you paid all this money into it to this plan. So you've kind of paid your freight charge, so to speak. You know, and that's important to, uh, to, and the other thing to understand too, is that long-term care insurance was never designed to meet all the expenses of a nursing home. That's true too. So we always encourage people to set aside enough money in their investments to uh, to cover the additional costs that would be required in a long-term care state.
1: Sure. That's good stuff. All right. What about annuities? I know annuities are a tool that some people decide to use to generate that guaranteed income in retirement, but if they're not reading the fine print, they might say something like the fees in this annuity are a lot higher than I was told.
2: Yeah. And we have heard that. I'll take that, Ben. Um, When you buy an annuity, there are always fees associated with it. Whether it's a reduction in the interest you receive, you know, portion of the returns you get, you have surrender charges, investment selection, nothing is for free. So it's easy to say, I didn't know the fees were this high because it's probably true. You may not have been told I don't know of anyone, and we were just talking about this uh, at the introduction of the podcast, I don't know of anyone who has went home and read a contract or a prospectus in its entirety. Hmm. So the consumer is really relying on us for that information. And now some agents won't tell you, uh, it's too bad, but some agents won't tell you or tell you all the fees. And we have a good program that will look at an annuity and break down every single fee associated with that contract. And you'll know exactly what you're paying. And this tool is helpful when helping a client decide on which choice to make, um, which makes the most sense when you're looking at possibly multiple options. Annuities are just like any other investment, and they're just a tool in the toolbox. There's good annuities, there's bad annuities, some have higher fees than others. The job of a fiduciary is that uh, you point out all the options and discuss the good and the bad, and then you can help your client make the right choice and disclose all the fees. You know, Phil, one thing that I do like about the tools we have is, is, is like it or not, you're going to see everything right. when it comes to, uh, you know, when it comes to an, at least an annuity. And if you're listening and you're struggling to understand what you bought, go to pathfinderchat.com. And when our calendar pops up, just click on any time, a 15-minute time that works for you, and we'll discuss what you have and let you know everything about your current annuity or any investment for that matter. And also, if you're in the middle of making a decision, then we can help you with that as well.
0: One of the things I really like about annuities, Barb, and I mean, all the issues with regard to fees, excessive fees or not aside, is that the annuity can actually provide an income that that you will not outlive. So what you're doing is you're transferring the the risk of the market to an insurance carrier, and it's nothing more than a pension plan. Right. It's really what it boils down to. And so they, they have that opportunity to have secure income for life.
2: Yeah, and it's adding a safety feature to your entire portfolio mix too. But then if you, if you, let's, let's face it. If you live to be 120, they're obligated to continue to Absolutely. pay you. mm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, lots to think about with the annuity. All right, we're talking about fine print and some things that might cut you off guard if you're not paying attention to the details in your investments. And let's talk mutual funds now. Um, someone that's not paying attention, I know there's a lot of fine print with the mutual funds, right? You get those huge prospectuses that are like, I don't know, 100 pages long. They, Whenever I get them, they go straight into the recycling bin. But maybe that, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But if you're not paying attention or you're not working with an advisor that's helping you understand what you're investing your money into, then you might feel like, hey, this mutual fund had been doing really well the last several years, but
2: now that I'm in, it's gotten it's just tanked. Yeah, well you had well Ben, you're not alone because most people do just exactly what you do with a prospectus. But um, I can actually relate to this when I first started investing in my 20s. You look at performance and you run up and down the page on who had the best performance. And you're usually looking at, you know, last year's performance when, of course, when the market was up. And then you look at history, whether it's five years or 10 years, et cetera. And the ones I bought always seem to drop when I get in. <laughs> well, when you first thing what you have to understand about mutual funds is that mutual funds change money managers. And those money managers change investment selections of companies inside of the fund. So when funds don't perform well, they will exchange that fund for another one, unbeknownst to you, and they can use the same history. In 2009, there were 66,000 mutual funds. In 2020, that's 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 uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. In 2021, there were 131,000, more mm-hmm. than double. Wow. So when we don't know what kind of fund you're in, we can't analyze much. And the, I guess the first question is, how did you choose the fund? There's a lot of money in... Uh, and in mutual funds, the total net assets of just U.S. registered mutual funds in 2020 alone were $24 trillion. So the question is, you know, what is the goal for investing? And the answer can not be to make money because then you'll bail when the markets drop. Are you investing long term for retirement, for paying for college? Uh, investing isn't short term and it doesn't have to be complicated. You just need to know, we always tell our clients, you just need to know some of the important things about investing to be successful. And the rules are simple. Own equities, diversify, and rebalance. But the right kind of uh, diversification is what we're talking about. When you buy a mutual fund or an index fund or a stock, it can only go one of two ways when you first buy. It's either going to go up or down. So have the mindset to stay the course once you understand what you're invested in and why. And don't be swayed by market news. Market news is just temporary. Otherwise, you're going to be like the majority of investors out there, according to Delvar Research. They uh, research investor behavior, and your people typically are buying and selling every three years, and they're getting less than an average return. Average return is about four percent when they uh, when they uh, research this investor behavior. When just the S and P alone would give you a ten percent average over a twenty year period.
0: Well, Barb, just. By virtue of the fact that this person says uh, it tanked as soon as I got into it kind of leads me to believe that the person has a, a short-term view of, of that investment and that really is is incorrect. I mean they've either not been uh, coached properly about what the investment's about or they're trying to do something on, the, on their own but you know they're looking for short-term returns and that is not the uh, that is not the philosophy of mutual fund investing
2: right now, you know, if you think about anything in the risk market isn't so it all takes time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Good points. All right. Got one more on our list here and this deals with REITs and maybe I'll want to maybe give a quick explanation of what a REIT is, but for people that have gone down this path and decided to put their money here, they you know, will soon find out if they're not reading the fine print that, Hey, I wanted to get some money out of this, but they're telling me I can't take it back right now.
0: Yeah. REIT stands for real estate investment trust. And uh, REITs are offered to the public through either privately owned company or publicly owned company or mutual funds. And there are companies that own income-producing real estate across a range of property sectors, such as developed and un- undeveloped uh, property, agriculture, uh, industrial property, commercial or residential. And There's a, a number of categories. Uh, REITs make it possible for everyday Americans, not just the big Wall Street uh, fat cats, To own uh, valuable real estate and provide income through dividends. REITs are offered by way of individual stock without going out and investing directly into the properties themselves. So you know, you're pulling money together with other investors and that way you don't have to incur all the the costs, have the huge uh, downstroke money um, and uh, manage it yourself. It's being done by a professional company but as with all other investments, REITs can and do lose money for various reasons. So some REITs have agreements that you can only cash out at certain times. So that kind of answers part of the question here. The terms of holding are spelled out in the prospectus and fall under many different types of provisions. REITs can and do restrict withdrawals in the events of downturns in the market or failed properties. So as an example, Uh, investment news magazine said that in 2008 reits lost an average of 37.3 percent now that's pretty bad in and of itself (laughs) but also consider this many of the shareholders had to wait years before they're able to redeem their shares if they were worth anything at all that's a that's a problem so as with any other investment it's important to understand the risks So we at Pathfinder do not recommend direct investments into REITs or things like oil and gas limited partnerships because of the inordinate amount of risk exposure. A lot of risk in those investments, and so we're not saying REITs are bad. Uh, We're just saying that it's it it is not to be really. You don't want to tie your money up into an individual REIT. You can go ahead and invest in real estate through the diversified asset allocation strategy Mm -hmm. we have. So if you own REITs or some other type of private placement. Doc investment, then, um, and you have questions about it, you don't understand it, uh, you don't, you can't get your money out of it. Go to our PathfinderChat.com for a free, no obligation, 15 minute phone conversation, and we might be able to get you head in the right, right direction.
2: Yeah, you know, I had a couple of clients that wanted to sell their REITs. Actually, they had REITs in their and in, inside their IRA account, which I don't know that that would be the best. Mm. Anyways, they're losing some of the tax benefits, but um, it was years for them to sell them. And then when they did, you know, it was it was pennies on the dollar. But I look at it as a it's a more of a long term investment like a home. You know, so when you go to sell your house, you have to wait, and it could take weeks or months or even longer. And when you do sell it, you could be selling it for less than what you paid it paid for it.
0: Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, during the uh, real estate downturn in 2008, a lot of REIT companies were taken advantage of uh, of the client by um, putting what they estimated to be the fair market value on it. It wasn't what they called mark to market. And so the government came in there and they said, "Okay, that's not really a true value of that property. Let's get that property valued properly. And they found out clients found out that they had maybe 10 cents on the dollar compared to what they were being presented.
2: Yeah. And I think what the big sizzle was even way back then, Phil, was the, oh, I'm getting 7% or I'm getting 8%. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's okay mm-hmm. if that's all you need. But I mean, I I do value my principle as well, don't yeah, exactly. you? Exactly. When yeah. they
2: tried to get out, then they, then they saw the other side.
0: Correct. Yeah.
1: Lots to think about there. But again, it's, it's why you, A, read the fine print, pay attention, but also work with a professional that It works with these products every day and understands them inside and out and can help you understand how they fit or whether they do fit into your overall plan. So again, best place to start, pathfinderchat.com. You can schedule a meeting with Barbara and Phil just by visiting pathfinderchat.com. All right, great stuff. Uh, I'll try to do a little bit better at reading the fine print, but uh, thanks for taking (laughs) us through some of the mistakes that we make when we don't.